Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey guys, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. I have Ada Chong with me again. This is episode two of the podcast, and today we're going to talk about sports teams, mascots, and the marketing topic of personified brands. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. So specifically, we're going to be chatting about the controversy surrounding Native American mascots, why mascots are important for branding, and the financial impact Native American mascots on NCAA basketball teams have on schools. So first, let's touch on the controversy surrounding Native American mascots. So beginning next baseball season, the Cleveland Indians will stop using Chief Wahoo as a logo on their uniforms and stadium signs. However, the logo will still be used and licensed for merchandise. And some background on this, the Cleveland baseball team became the Indians in 1915, but more than 30 years later in 1947, the first version of Chief Wahoo was designed but just four years after that, the image of Chief Wahoo was altered, and that is the logo that is still used today. But just two years ago in 2016, Wahoo became a secondary logo. And after years of protest, the Indians owner said the team moved to the Block C as their primary logo. What are your thoughts on that, Mike? Well, it's, it's interesting because this issue of Native American mascots pops up all the time in sports it, it it doesn't it doesn't matter if we're in a college season um, or if we're in professional football or if we're in professional baseball this is one of these ongoing controversies that just continually pops up so whether it's the Cleveland Indians in baseball or the Chicago Blackhawks in hockey or of course the big one really the Washington Redskins in the NFL this is an issue that it, it persists and it's something that gets it gets fans, you know, on both sides of the issues, real, a lot of passion surrounding it. The, the situation with the Indians, I think, is, is an interesting one. As, you know, as I noted, there's a number of teams with these Native American mascots. And they seem to be taking different strategies in terms of dealing with the controversy. So, you know, the Redskins are sort of notorious out there for the, the owner saying, I'm not going to change things. This is, this is just what it is. 
when I hear you, when I hear the rundown of what what the Cleveland Indians are doing, it sounds like they've decided to take a different strategy of just slowly backing away from the Native American and the chief imagery and the chief Wahoo image specifically. And so you talk about there's different strategies, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually attended Florida State, and they always use the Seminole warrior Osceola and his horse Renegade in every football game, and they have a good relationship. FSU has a good relationship with the Seminole tribe of Florida. Um, I know in 2005, the tribe put in writing the support of the university's use of the Seminole name, logos, and images, and I think when you have the strategy and they build this partnership together, it gives them a mutual respect. The school feels, I guess you can say, blessed Mm -hmm. that they can move forward with this and it causes less stress and uh, controversy, you know, at football games and things like that. I think that's a, I think that's a good point that, you know, what, what Florida State did was, was fairly unique. And I think for, you know, you know, the, the history of, you know, let's say college football or really modern American sports really goes back 100 or 120 years. And so there's a lot of, you know, collegiate programs or professional sports franchises that have, you know, essentially these legacy team names and these legacy mascots. And so the question becomes, well, you know, as the world changes, and, you know, I, I think in a lot, of, a lot of times, even though these are viewed very much as negatives or controversial at the time, they tended to start out as maybe more respectful gestures. But the world changes, the culture evolves, and people have to react. And so for someone like Florida State, you know, it's impressive imagery, right? And and you think about this this warrior coming out there on this. Is is it a white horse at Florida State? Yeah. You know, it's a striking image, and it's something, and this is something we'll, we'll come back to, it's a shared experience, right? So for every student that's gone through Florida State and attended the games, it's it's part of the culture. It's something that you guys all have in common now that, you, you know, you went from being a student to an alumni. It's a point of connection, and it's something very, very relatable. So, you know, Florida State has been able to maintain that while you know negotiating essentially a partnership with with the Seminole Nation and I think that's that's the home run in all of this not to you know overuse a sports metaphor it's something that just works they get to keep the history and they get to put a positive spin on it as really kind of an honorable tribute to the to the Seminole tribe exactly and if FSU is able to create this partnership do you think if other teams, sports teams, try to do the same thing, they would get a good response as well? Or do you think they're not doing that as a strategy? What do you think the situation is? Well, and it, you know, every, every team has a different set of circumstances, right? So, you know, and I'm not going to claim to know the complete history of the Cleveland Indians logo, but, you know, the Indians logo in particular, I think, was viewed as almost offensive, looking like a caricature of an, of a Native American. Um, and, I, and I don't know that there was a direct connection to a specific tribe in the, in the Cleveland region. And so, you know, those things being lacking, you know, your ability to react or sort of move forward as a partnership is going to be a little bit more complicated. You know, 
something that's kind of interesting is, you know, you're a Florida State grad. I'm a University of Illinois grad. You know, we can think about how those schools reacted in parallel to kind of Native American controversies, where Florida State was explicitly connected to the Seminole Nation. The University of Illinois evolved to have a uh, Native American symbol or, or character called the chief o- over time. But in the case of the Illini, it, it didn't come from a specific connection to a tribe. And so, you know, Illinois ended up in a a fairly different type of situation where there wasn't a, and I mean, I, and I know in the case of Illinois, there were some efforts to connect with some of the local regional tribes, but I don't think it was, you know, they were unable to execute something like what Florida State did with the Seminoles. So in Illinois' case, you know, they had almost this fictional character that they weren't able to sort of garner support with a, with a local, you know, uh, Native American group. And so Illinois ended up essentially pulling things back, right? And so they went from being the fighting, fighting Illini with Chief Illini Weck, who did a dance at the football and basketball games, to just being the fighting Illini. And I think the closest thing that Illinois has to a mo- mascot in place of Chief Illini Weck is a big block eye, a big orange eye. Well, there's this huge history of this controversy surrounding these Native American mascots. Do you think maybe 20, 30 years from now, they could ever all be phased out and replaced with a different logo, or is that a bigger fight? You know, it, my answer to that almost depends on the, on the day of the week. You know, one of the things that we'll probably end up talking a lot about in this, even though we're, you know, we're focusing on uh, analytics, the, the, the analysis of fan data mostly. We'll talk a little bit about the analytics related to mascots in a little bit here. But, you know, sports has become something that is so influenced by the political environment at this point that, you know, if you asked me a couple of years ago what was going to happen to the Native American mascots, I would have said, I, I think they're going to all be phased out that the value that they provide in terms of, let's say, brand equity, the continuing value of the brands, may not be worth it in terms of, you know, having to deal with the continual protests. And the Cleveland Indians are a good example of that, of a kind of slow walk back from using the Chief Wahoo logo to switching to just a a non-controversial C. The... You know, the, the Redskins are always going to be, a, you know, an example that pops up into these things. And, you know, for the longest time, I, and I've, I've written on this in, in various media outlets. I, you know, I've always been an advocate of maybe the Redskins should pull back from that just because while there's some value associated with the Redskin name, is this actually a net positive in terms of the, the negatives associated with continual protests? But I've, I've kind of find myself thinking, you know, a lot of this really just depends on how the political world evolves. You know, so in the era of, you know, it's, it might be one of these things where I just don't want to predict the future. If I'm the, the owner of a team with a Native American mascot, my gut call is, yeah, I'm pulling back on it. I'm doing something similar to what the Cleveland Indians are doing. It's a controversy that I don't necessarily want to have part of. You know, I might also say that, you know, I I think Florida State is a great example in a lot of ways in terms of trying to form a partnership. You know, so 
if I'm an owner of a team that's using one of these brands, you know, probably what I my ideal solution is to find a way to partner with Native American groups as kind of a damage control or to turn something into a positive. And I'm also sort of retrenching on some of the, you know, the, the, the previous history of the branding elements that I'm using. This shifts to a good point. Why are mascots important for branding? Yeah, and I think this is the this is the hundred dollar questions in, in all of this is what is the value of a mascot or even a a personification of a of a brand and it, it's something that as a marketer is a little bit of a let's say a marketing historian it's something that we've seen over time kind of come and go you're you're too young to remember a lot of these brands but I think especially like in the 1970s there was a um, there there you know the, this idea of using mascots or personifications of you know essentially putting a character to different brands went well beyond sports. Um, some of these are still prevalent. You know, the Pillsbury Doughboy or Tony the Tiger. Some of the ones from the 1970s that I think, you know, the older generations can't, they can't forget because these things were all over television were Mr. Whipple for Charmin bathroom tissue or Charlie the Tuna or Morris the Cat for, um, for you know, and I, I, I remember, it's interesting, I remember Morris the Cat, but I don't recall what cat food brand Morris represented. Yeah, I don't think this was in my generation. <laughs> I have no idea who Morris the Cat or Charlie the Tuna are, Mr. Ripple. I know it's the bear now, right, for Charmin? The big snuggly bear. Maybe. And, I don't and, know his name. And, and, but this is interesting, right? So it's like um, I can think of some of the mascots or some of the maybe the animals that are featured. Snuggles the bear, maybe? Oh, I don't know his name. But I'm not sure which brand they're associated with. And so the, these things are kind of a commitment that may or may not be made. Tony the Tiger, you know, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Pillsbury Doughboy. I mean, it, it, it's even in the name. So. Yeah. So, it, yeah, you're saying so people identify with these brands, with these logos. So if they were to change a brand, like what we were talking about earlier with Native Americans, do you think people might not have an allegiance with the team because they changed the logo? Yeah, well, th there's a there's a concept in marketing, um, and, and one of the things we're going to do in the podcast is, you know, add some marketing theory to some of these sports issues. The one that I think is most relevant, the theory that I think is most relevant to the question about the mascots is this notion of a brand consumer relationship. So it's a funny thing for people to think about at first. It's like you know we we all interact we all go through life interacting with a variety of brands you know on your laptop maybe there's a dell logo or an apple logo on your soft drink there's a coca-cola logo you know on your shoes maybe there's a nike swoosh so we we live in a world of brands what's kind of funny for some people to think about is the idea that you have a relationship with the brand mm -hmm. you know and so do you start to think of that brand almost as a as another almost human entity and, and something to to ask people about when you first bring this notion up is do brands have personalities okay so what's the personality with apple i don't know you know innovative kind of a, a clever brand what's the personality with starbucks i don't know they're probably going for something kind of cool and hip as a marketer if you can create that kind of brand with those kind of human elements to it 
well, guess what? It's probably going to make make it easier to form a stronger relationship with your consumers because they don't think of you as just a commodity product. They think of you as almost like a friend that's part of their life. Yeah, I mean, when I think about branding, it's, um, you know, for an example, <laughs> purses. You know, it, it could be a just plain black purse. You put two of them side by side. They look exactly alike. One can say Gucci on it, and one just has nothing. And people are willing to pay for that Gucci purse just for the name of it, which is insane. Well, absolutely. And I, I think that's that's sort of a real, that's a, that's a great example. And I, and I think people will think about this, you know, when you make that point, and then you ask people to think about how they go through their life, that example occurs over and over again the branded product versus the unbranded product you know the coke versus the the kroger brand of 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 soda the um you know the uh the willingness to pay for and fashion's you know obviously a great one you know I, i think a lot of times fashion is actually a funny character in that you know a lot of times and this this might be something a lot of consumers aren't really aware of you know a lot of fashion products, clothing items, are made by the same suppliers, you know, tend to be coming out of Asia, and then just, you know, almost to the same specifications and very different brands put on them. And so, you know, you put a, you know, let's say a Banana Republic brand name on something versus a Target brand name on something, and very commonly people are willing to to pay more money for those things. Yeah, Yeah. could be about status, anything. Um, Well, speaking of money, let's talk about the financial impact Native American mascots on NCAA basketball teams have on schools. Well, before before we get there, let's come back. Let's let's talk just a little bit more about some of these brand consumer relationships because there's just a couple other things that I think really matter in this. And 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 I think you know laying the groundwork in terms of you know thinking about brands and sort of consumer packaged goods is a great starting point. I think when schools have mascots or when companies have symbols, it's almost an effort to go to that next level, right? So if we think that certain brands have different personalities, when we can put a human or an animal figure, you know, as part of that brand, I think things become even more powerful. You know, one of my favorite types of mascots and it's interesting because this is also something that's becoming more controversial over time, are live animal mascots. And so, you know, we're doing this podcast from Atlanta, Georgia. One of the big local sports brands is, is uh, not, not Emory University, where we're coming from, is the University of Georgia. And their mascot is a bulldog, Ugga. And I think, you know, that's a that's a great example to think of, too, because it's almost like the 90,000 people going to that game, they all partly own a dog. Right. right? And so they all, you know, they can connect over that ownership or that partnership with, with Aga. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these sports mascots. Why they end up being powerful is like if you've got a personification of this team, into a human figure or an animal figure, it's almost like we've got a shared friend, right? So let's just imagine we both went to Florida State. Maybe we didn't even know each other because there's 40, 50,000 students on that campus. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we both knew 
you know, what's the what's the name of the Osceola and Renegade? Okay, we both knew Osceola and Renegade, so it's like we've got a shared friend, and so I think that's where these things become particularly powerful if they are something if they are something unique, and and so that's you know in some ways coming back to to Cleveland, that's kind of the issue. There's a lot of Cleveland fans that have this shared friend of Chief Wahoo, and they don't view this as something derogatory, right? They all love Chief Wahoo, and so it's a, it's a point of connection. It's a way to connect to the team, putting a human face on it, and it's a way for people to sort of connect with each other because we both have the same friend. So it's truly a sense of community. It's a builder of community, a- absolutely. Um, now back to the, this issue of financial impact. And so this is um, this is where potentially analytics come into the mascot debate. And so, uh, you know, like a lot of sports issues, when people talk about mascots and Native American mascots, it's almost all based on emotions and passions and feelings of, well, morality um, in terms of the Native American mascots. But there's kind of this big question in terms of, well, what's the financial upside or downside of making a change? One of the things that I've done over time, and this is this is a really tricky issue in terms of analytics. You know, it, just just as a sort of laying the sort of the the groundwork for even because you know, I think it's useful to talk about how you, even how you would structure such an analysis is you've got to figure out a way to relate how teams are performing in terms of revenues to their mascot choices. So. Why this is a tricky thing is, you know, the, the ideal situation is, let's say that we could run an experiment, okay? So let's say that I could almost have two Cleveland baseball teams that had identical players, but one had a Native American mascot and one did not. You know, that would be my ideal situation in terms of analysis. But, of course, that, that's just not going to happen, right? right? So what I've done in order to, let's say, put some data and facts and statistics to this is look for, well, sort of look for clever ways of analyzing the data. You mentioned, you mentioned college sports. So college sports might be the, the, the best environment for, even though we're talking about the Cleveland Indians, a major league baseball team, college sports might be the best environment for doing it because a lot of colleges have changed their mascots over time. You know, we can go, you know, and, and the schools are really kind of diverse from, let's say, Marquette, Marquette uh, Catholic University in Milwaukee, getting away from a warrior character to a warrior that was really based on a Native American character to just a warrior name. Uh, St. John's going from the Red Men to the Red Storm. Syracuse going from the Orange Men to just a big orange ball. Uh, Stanford going from being this, this, this goes, shows you how far back this goes. Stanford, I think, losing the Indian's name in maybe the 1950s and going with a color, the Cardinal, and a big tree. So there's a lot of data on colleges switching from having these type of mascots. Colleges are also interesting in that the Department of Education requires reporting via Title IX requirements in terms of how much money each team is generating um, 
at the collegiate level, the, the expenditures and the, and the revenues. And so one thing that I've done in the past is actually develop statistical models looking at how teams' revenues performed when they switched away from a Native American mascot and also looking at the importance of time. So the importance of, well, how long, you know, because in some ways, you know, if you've got 50 years, people will tend to forget. But so how quickly do schools recover from these changes? So what things did you find out from this? Is it switching away from a Native American mascot? Is that financially better for a team or is it a negative impact? Well, and, and this was the key. When you look at this at the college level, we really didn't find anything. And so, you know, as an analytics person, it's almost like we, we tend to be terrified of null results. In this case, it was an interesting thing to find. And what I mean by a null result is essentially didn't find a meaningful effect. That when schools switched away from the Native American team names, essentially nothing happened. Maybe you see a small blip down in the first year, but really kind of quick recovery. That's actually very surprising to hear. And I think, you know, it, it is, it's an interesting thing, right? Because it, it kind of highlights the complexity of a lot of this, right? So, you know, it, as we're talking, we're, we're talking about apples and oranges in some ways. We're talking about pro versus college sports. You know, at the college sports, you know, maybe someone would argue that, well, college sports are a little bit more protected because they've got this built-in audience, right? You're only ever going to go to FSU, right? I mean, you're an FSU alumni forever. So maybe it's harder to actually destroy college fans' uh, affections or loyalty simply because it's almost like a permanent relationship. Uh, the other thing to add into this is, and this is something that I think comes back to just this issue of these kind of branding decisions at the professional level, is that you can view these things as potentially a negative, right? So you're doing something to the branding. You're changing the branding. Maybe you're nervous about the brand-consumer relationship. But there's also an opportunity in all this stuff, right? You can do something new. You can potentially come up with something cool. Um, you can potentially also come up with you know, a new set of logos that, you know, get people interested in like, hey, you know, maybe I'm a Washington Redskins, you know, maybe I'm someone in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm a big football fan. I don't necessarily love the, the Redskins imagery, so maybe I'm reluctant to wear a Redskins T-shirt, you know. So maybe if you make that switch, now I'm all in, right? Now there's a new cool logo, and I'm happy to represent that. So I think... And this comes back to the analysis of the college data. You know, maybe the reason why we don't see much of a effect in either direction is that the positives and the negatives tend to cancel out. Maybe you do lose some of the alumni that you know were all in with the previous you know symbolism, but maybe you get other folks that start to that start to come in. I mean, at the end of the day, really a complicated problem in terms of analytics really difficult to find the right kind of data. But the data that's out there kind of suggests maybe this isn't that big of an issue because for any potential downside, maybe there's also a corresponding upside. I can only imagine how difficult it is for teams to test change. You just don't know how things are going to be received. You know, people, fans could love the new logo or they can absolutely hate it and it could destroy the brand. So it's just 
I wonder how they, you know, go mm -hmm. about making such a big change. Yeah, and that's, I think that's great. And it, it's something we, we don't really talk a lot about in marketing curriculum, but sort of the notion of fear, right? And so as a brand manager, often, you know, people are really kind of terrified of change just because, well, we actually don't know how well this existing logo or mascot is working, but we're terrified of making a change because, I don't know, it's sort of going into the into the the great beyond. I, you know, I, I think there's some other general rules that people can think about. I mean, you know, you mentioned we we've talked about a couple of mascots at the college level here. You know, we we talked about Florida State. You know, it's really kind of a great piece of symbolism. Warrior on a white horse. We talked about Uga, adorable dog that's part of a shared community. You look at some of the the other, let's say, great kind of team names and team imagery of uh, across different leagues. You know, you, some of the things that sort of initially pop into my head. You know, I think of like the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Dallas Cowboys. You know, really kind of powerful, strong branding. But then I also tend to think about you know maybe some of the let's say some of the teams that don't have those kind of really strong and i don't want to i don't want to throw anyone you know i want to cast aspersions here but you know maybe the my least favorite mascot in all the world of sports and and like the villanova wildcats just won a national championship mm -hmm. but when you go so generic on these things you know i do wonder how powerful some of those things can be so I guess on net, you know, this is, again, a complicated issue with a lot of moving parts. Well, thanks for all your feedback, Mike. Go Knowles. <laughs> <laughs> Go Knowles. Go Illini. And uh, thanks, everyone out there for listening. And as always, you know, and as we, as we develop more of these episodes, one thing that we will always kind of remind you guys of is we're working in parallel. So we're doing these audio versions as kind of a friendly take on analytics and marketing issues. There's going to be more details and, you know, if you're hardcore analytics, probably more, more let's say more math and more stats on our, um, on our accompanying website, which you can find at the influentialanalytics.com um, is where we'll house a lot of, let's say, the source material. So until next time, thanks for tuning in.